Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Master Your Mental. I'm very excited to have my guest virtually here with me today, Nikhil Toriskar. He seemed to have it all, a loving wife and three kids. He attended top schools and has a thriving career at the world's top corporations. But what happened was one day, it all came crashing down. He lost his job, found himself in a bitter divorce, and had nowhere to live. He was suffering from undiagnosed bipolar disorder for 20 years. After being suicidal and getting diagnosed at 40 years old, he began his journey of healing. And this is what we're going to be getting into today. And he works in marketing with his wife, Shelly, at Geostar Chicago. Shelly and Nikel launched a podcast called The Shelly Story, which discusses the importance of owning your own health and acquiring mental wealth through various holistic healing modalities for mental disorders. So the platform offers hope to those suffering by allowing others to share their stories of triumph over tragedy. So I'm super excited to have Nikhil with us today and get into his story of what it has been like living with bipolar and coming across what has worked for him. So Nikhil, thank you so much for joining us. I can't wait to get into your story. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Paris. It's great to be here. Of course. So before we go ahead and get into what's worked and all these things, I want to go ahead and get into that because you weren't diagnosed until 40 years old. So I'd love to hear from you what that was like before the diagnosis. And then once you got the diagnosis, what was that like? Sure. Well, again, thanks again. Thanks for uh, having me again, uh, Paris. It's, it's great to be here. Uh, I always love, as I talk to you offline, it's uh, it's always just great to connect with people in the mental health community who are shedding light on this disorder that's not, doesn't have the quite the understanding that it should uh, just because of depictions in media, because of maybe mischaracterizations and things like that. So I really, I'm really happy whenever I meet people who have gone through similar journeys and are trying to help others, not just people who have the disorder, but their caregivers and friends and family, et cetera. So uh, if we can step back, yeah. So as you said, I was diagnosed uh, about, well, yeah, it'll be six years ago. And I had lived with bipolar disorder for uh, more than two decades. And whenever I talk about my journey with bipolar disorder, there's multiple layers as there are with any other bipolar story. But I'd say the key element of my story was the immigrant experience, because uh, my parents had come here from India uh, back in the 70s to try to make a better life for themselves, for their kids. And on the whole, I mean, I think it was a good experience, but there are a lot of facets of Indian culture that can be very devastating uh, to somebody who suffers from bipolar disorder. Um, and with me, I think the interesting angle is that my father was actually a psychiatrist. He's retired now, uh, but he was a psychiatrist. And my mother, uh, she never officially got the diagnosis, but she displayed all, you know, if you looked at the DSM checklist, she pretty much ticked all the boxes, you know. Um, she's, there's a lot of positives to people with bipolar disorder, as you know. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of creativity. There's a lot of energy. Um, there's definitely, they're definitely very exciting to be around, uh, or they can be. Um, but there was just this denial, I think, and there was this misinterpretation of a lot of the negative or, or not negative, but a lot of the symptoms of bipolar disorder. Like, as you know, being able to work with very little sleep, you know, that's the hallmark of folks with bipolar disorder. 
They're the types of folks who, you know, they can sleep for three hours and still juggle a full workload and then go play tennis and then, you know, write plays and <laughs> do everything A to Z. And so that was the, unfortunately, that was sort of the template uh, that I had to live up to, which was just, uh, you know, they were both physicians. Uh, they were both, uh, you know, working very hard. But I think when there was this, when you run out of gas, that was something that was sort of swept under the rug. And it was more mm -hmm. just like, oh, that's, you know, he's going through a down period. Just have some positive, you know, have some PMA, positive mental attitude, get a pep talk, maybe get a cup <laughs> of coffee, just walk it off. You'll be fine. Right. It wasn't seen as something that was symptom that was indicative of, you know, a pattern where it's highs and lows. And so that really was, I, I would say the, un my undoing was because there was not this tendency to see that, okay, you're working on very little sleep. Um, you're irritable, you're, you know, you're, you're, th these are all just sort of parts of being a high performer, a high achiever. So I, as I'm, as you mentioned in the bio, uh, I had gone to a top business school. I worked in consulting for a long time, worked at, uh, you know, some of the, the top companies and, there was just this sense that that was part of the, that was just the the rules of the road, you know, that you're basically, mm -hmm. you're just a workhorse. Wow. Um, and then when I would crash, it was just like, I think my wife, uh, Shelly, she was, she was scratching her head because she was like, this, where's the Nikhil that I know, you know, where's the high performer, where's the life of the party. Now he's just, um, you know, what we all <laughs> We always talk about uh, there's this character in the show Entourage, uh, Ari Gold. I don't know if you're familiar with that show. <laughs> um, Haven't seen it. With that show? Yeah. Well, it's if you ever see that show, just Google Ari Gold. He's like this fast talking, really hyperkinetic is the word I use. He's just very dynamic, uh, but he's also very irritable. But, you know, he's just he's one of those people who makes things happen. <laughs> and then so that was me. That was like hypomanic Nikhil. And then there was depressed Nikhil, which was like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Oh <laughs> so I always said it was like swinging the pendulum between Eeyore and uh, and Ari Gold. Wow. Um, and so what really happened was just there was a breaking point where I, like you said in the intro, I lost several jobs. Uh, you know, I filed for divorce uh, from my wife just out of the blue. And even though we went through a period where, you know, I was like, my wife, initially she wanted to try to salvage the marriage. But she got to a point where she's like, okay, whether this marriage survives or not, you need to get help. And, you know, mm -hmm. she was the one who sort of forced me to face my demons and and finally get the, the right treatment and, and get on the road to recovery. Oh my gosh. That's, that is a lot. And just being able to get, just hear so many things that you brought up, especially like your background with like the mm -hmm. immigrant experience and then how you tie the high performing piece to yeah. this isn't abnormal because you're seen as a high performer. It's just part of, part of what it takes to do these things and accomplish these things. So it's not seen as, yeah. Oh, maybe something else is going on more with this. And also that brings it, me it, to, it's, a, it's also, it's, it's the hustle culture, right? It's, yes. it's, it's the most yeah. destructive thing. I don't care what industry you're in, what culture you're in, we got to get rid of hustle culture because it is absolutely. It is That's <laughs> what I thought our, of yeah. when, mm -hmm. when you were mentioning that and too, and then having your, when you would go through the different periods of ma being manic and then hypomanic and then the depression with your wife, not really knowing like, well, you were this way. And then now you're over here and right. what's going on. Like, how do you manage this? And then I would love to ask you, cause this comes 
reminds me of something that I talk with, with other people that I've interviewed also, who also live with bipolar of the aspect of feeling supported. So when you mentioned that with your parents, like your dad being a psychiatrist and your mom also being a physician as well, and having all the signs of bipolar, but not like coming out with it or getting the diagnosis and having a lot of denial and shame with that, of Mm -hmm. you know, trying to be successful and do these different things. Did, when you started to struggle with that, did you feel supported by your parents or what were your feelings around that? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough question just because in Indian culture, there is, um, so I guess the the best word to describe it is collectivist, uh, Paris, Mm -hmm. because when you come from another country, uh, it's a very lonely experience. You know, you, you're leaving behind your family, especially in India. It's a very collectivist society where when you marry into a family, you're not just marrying the wife or you're not getting a new husband, you're getting a whole package deal. You know, you're Mm -hmm. getting a whole bunch of aunts and uncles. They're all there. It's all a big jumbled mess, you know? (laughs) And, And I bring that up because it's so important because with, uh, immigrants, there is this real tendency, and I'm sure it's true for all the other immigrant communities, but there's this real need to keep up appearances. There's this mm-hmm. real need to uh, live up to that standard. Uh, and this is before Facebook. This is before social media. I mean, this is, we, I can't even imagine what it's like now, but, you know, there was this, we didn't want to upset the apple cart. You know, we didn't, if you see people at the temple or you see people at the uh, Diwali celebration, you didn't want to be that family, you know, because everyone had this picture perfect life. You know, their kids are going to med school, they're going on cruises, they're going on vacations, you know, it's this real, and, and it's total BS, you know, uh, I mean, and so I bring that up because I think my parents did want to support me. Um, so I, one, one incident was my sophomore year in college, uh, I had my first manic episode and I didn't know what was going on because the semester before I had been down in the dumps and then it was almost like a light switch. And I'm sure people with this disorder can relate. It was almost like a, a switch went on and I was like on fire, you know, super creative, working really hard. Uh, but then I just ran out of gas, you know, and I had to take a leave of absence. Mm-hmm. And I think my parents did want to support me just as long as it didn't interfere with their social calendar, you know? So mm-hmm. it wasn't like, like for me now as a parent, I have three kids if something is going wrong in my kid's life, I could care less about, you know, going to uh, the next, uh, going to the next Diwali or uh, holiday party or whatever, you know, that's the lowest on my priorities. But unfortunately, because they were governed by that collectivist mindset and that need to keep up with the Joneses and avoid upsetting the apple cart, they didn't really change any elements of the, of our family dynamics to really address the issue, because that is so important. That is uh, part of the three-legged stool. I would say it's medication, therapy, and relationships. And wow. that was the part that was missing was just the relationship piece was was sorely lacking. Yeah. And especially hearing you mention that with, it's almost reminds me of being seen as a mark of shame 
almost of like, you know, when you're going to these different events and it's not something that you would ever want to bring up like, Oh, you know, my kid got into college. Well, you know, my kid was just diagnosed with bipolar and was hospitalized for (laughs) two months two weeks or whatever. Right. So yeah. I definitely, Fun. Understand. that sounds great. Cool. Yeah. Tell me more. <laughs> because people's responses, that's the thing. Not a lot of people know how to respond to that. And it, get, it can make it uncomfortable where it's like, yeah. okay, what do we say next? Where do we take this conversation? Do I not seem like I care enough? Or it just can make it uncomfortable. Yeah. So especially there's no, having there's that no right response to that uh, piece of information. Yes. Especially with the pressure of social media and then wanting to share the positive experiences in your life and present Mm -hmm. your best self when you're at these events and not bringing this up and trying to make anyone feel uncomfortable or not like they know where, what to say or what to do next. That's something also with, with your dad, with having the background in psychiatry, did he ever notice any of this in you before you were aware of this happening? And how was it with your dad and then also him having that background in psychiatry was it something that you feel made your experience better having that or do you feel like there was times where it made it worse having that well i mean i think if i could back up because i think it's important the other piece of context that's important is just the state of mental health in india Mm-hmm. Because America, I mean, we have a long ways to go with mental health. I think we're getting there through things like this podcast, our podcast, mm-hmm. you know, everything people like you and I are doing uh, to increase the dialogue. But India is it is devastating. If you read anything about mental health in India, it's the access to care. I, I don't know what the stats are off the top of my head, but I think it's like one psychiatrist for every thousand mentally ill people. You know, it's drastically underdiagnosed. And because there is just so much stigma about the condition over in India, because a lot of it is seen more as a spiritual imbalance, Um, even in, you know, because my family came from a middle class background. Obviously, you can understand in villages where there's less access to traditional education and things like that. So there's a tribal element. But that distrust and that's, you know, fear of mental illness is so pervasive in our culture. And I think that colored our experience, even with my father being a psychiatrist, uh, that he didn't want to, what I always say is there was clinical detachment, right? He wanted to leave that at the office. And I'm sure a lot of therapists go through this where it's, they don't want to believe that it's living under their house. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that was what I think helped him sort of keep it at bay because when he would see that I was down in the dumps, what is amazing to me, and I think you might've talked about this on your podcast is I was actually prescribed Wellbutrin at one point without Mm -hmm. a mood stabilizer. Wow. You know, I'm sure that'll raise a lot of eyebrows because it's like you put someone who's man, you know, with bipolar disorder on a, uh, on an antidepressant, you know, that's, that's I was prescribed that as well. So hearing you say that, that's actually something that, you know, all the medications that I've been prescribed on. And I also, this actually reminds me of a, another interview that I did with another mm-hmm. guest of mine who also is from India and shared the same, mm. same thing as you. She talked about spiritual imbalance and talking about yeah. how it's different from just trying to bring more awareness. And that's what I think is really great about what you and her both doing with using your platforms and, and wanting to have more of a conversation around this and just feature more yeah. of what the reality is. Here's what, you know, what the worst has looked like in my position. And here's what I've been able to do with it. Because especially when you're talking about access to care and just being able to even come forward in the first place and say, I think something's wrong without, because that can be hard in itself. And especially when you, even with your parents or family, 
And regardless if, the, if they're actually a psychiatrist or not, just feeling like, oh, I don't know if I can come to them. Maybe because you had that overachiever background and you're getting, you know, someone getting straight A's, you're doing so good. You're in all these extracurricular activities. You're in all these clubs, you're doing mm-hmm. all this stuff. And then all of a sudden now you feel like it's too much and you, you need to take a break and feeling that guilt and then feeling like you don't want to put that on someone else. So just continuing to like push through it. So that yeah. brings me to something else with you too. With I'd love to hear about your relationship with Shelly. So you mentioned going through the divorce and then what was wow. that? So that period of trend of going through that, where you were struggling with a lot with bipolar and then trying to mm-hmm. have, have her support in it and really work through that. What was it that you did to end up saving the relationship? Yeah. So the relationship with Shelly, and that's, that's part of people sometimes ask me when they come on my show, they say, why is it called the Shelly story when you're the one interviewed? Um, I mean, she does interview sometimes as well, but it really is. She's the one, I mean, it is her story in a sense that she's the one who came forward and said, Hey, let's, let's tell this story. Let's try to give hope to people who are going through this, whether they're Indian or they're American whether they're suffering from bipolar or depression, or, you know, maybe they're just trying to figure out their life, you know? Um, But with Shelly, like I said, I think she, there was a little bit of a misunderstanding about mental illness on her part as well, because Mm. there would be times when I would feel depressed and she would always give me that, uh, you know, put on a happy face, the happy talk, you know, just uh, walk it off. So there was some misunderstanding. And at one point I said to her, you know, I, I think I might have bipolar disorder because I read this article uh, about, and at that point, so I'm, I'm diagnosed with bipolar type one. And, but this article that I read was about bipolar uh, type two, um, which I don't have the data around it, but it seems like there's a lot of, I guess you would say hypomanic tendencies with entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. A lot of them probably don't have this diagnosis, but you know, they're running three different companies like Elon Musk. I'm sure. I don't know what his, I don't want to put him on the couch and diagnose him. But, but the point is, I think there was this, I mean, she's the most amazing person. She's, you know, has the biggest heart and she'll do anything to help, you know, whoever, whoever she can. Um, but she initially, it, it was interesting because once she saw that uh, last manic episode, the final manic episode where, you know, I filed for divorce. She was able to remove herself and not get mad at me because I think she finally had what I always say is she, she was able to see what was hiding in plain sight, you know, where she was able to see that, okay, you know, he's lost, he's had four jobs or he's had yeah four jobs in five years. You know, he's, going from, like I said before, dizzying highs to incapacitating lows. He's not able to get out of bed. Um, so she had all that data, I would say, you know, she had that backstory and she finally was able to, you know, piece that all together and really with the desire to help me and not, you know, take me to take, literally take me to court for it, you know, in, in these divorce proceedings. Um, she was able to, as you know, as tough as that is, separate the illness from the person that she loved, from separate the person that she had, you know, married uh, 15 years before that point. Um, and so I think that that kind of detachment is really uh, is really what saved the day. Uh, and 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 in the end, she was really the only one in my corner. I mean, my own parents had given up on me. My you know, my friends, 
I don't know. I think a lot of people with bipolar just sort of go through this where it's like when you're in that manic state, you're the life of the party and mm-hmm. you have a lot of new friends. Uh, but then when the times get tough, they're nowhere to be found, you know? So I, would, yeah. you know, I, I really hope people who have to go through this, you know, that if, if they're not able to have someone, you know, who's as much of an anchor in a rock as Shelly, that they can find a group like NAMI or, you know, find a support group where they can find that connection. Yeah. And just hear, hearing you share that, what comes up for me the most in hearing that is the permission to start doing the work because you mentioned the relationship with your family wanting to be there and supportive, but almost not being like, okay, tell your story or, you know, speak about this more and more in that way. But it seems like that's really the encouragement that she did and using this to turn it into something that could help others. And then also getting the education on it instead of, you know, like most people might, when someone's going through a period depression, okay, just think about happier things or not knowing what to do or what to say. But, you know, from having you and being there for you through the experience, like you said, being able to separate what's you from the illness, because that's a really powerful thing, especially when you're able to actually identify what the triggers are or what things that go on that can set you off to be a certain way towards others. And especially when you're talking about going and filing for divorce, someone might be like, okay, then fine, let's just do this and move forward with it. And then just who knows what he's going to deal with because I've had other people I've spoken with who have been married and they have told Mm me, you know, like, well, wow, you know, I've, I'm divorced from the, from this person. And I wish that I knew sooner what to do to help, or I could have it could have been saved, but I didn't, I just kind of gave up and they would share that with me and say, Mm -hmm. I was married to my husband and would they had kids or different things and they give up. And that's what I think is extremely really, really cool to see with your experience and how you call the show, the Shelly story, because of what she's been able to do with your experiences with bipolar and then using that and now turning it into a platform where you feature other people's conversations. And that's what I think is really big piece of what's helped them break through the stigma is speaking about it more and then seeing from someone else's lens of what they've done. Because, you know, you're someone who's gone through, like you said, doing very, very well in school and then going through these different careers and all of the stuff, which can be very challenging to, to maintain with bipolar. And I know for myself, I've had the same experience as well, Mm -hmm. you know, being younger, going, you know, doing really well in school, getting these degrees and then going through this job, this job, and then being like, Oh my gosh, like this sucks. And then, wow, look at a lot of people with bipolar have a hard time staying in one place or whatever it is, but being able to see what's worked for others, I think is huge. If you could kind of say out of everything that you've consumed in terms of education about bipolar support groups. I love that you mentioned NAMI and just having Shelly as that person who gave you that permission and who was there for you through that. So if you could kind of talk about all of the different things that you've come across, what would you say is the number one tip or solution that has been the most powerful for you in moving forward? Yeah. So if you go to our website, uh, Shelly Sue, well, we have two. One is the ShellyStory.com, which is our podcast. And then the other one is uh, ShellySue.com. So the tagline there is uh, untether your life. And I find the concept of untethering to be so powerful uh, because when you think about like a boat, for instance, you know, you think about a boat and 
I'm not a I'm not a uh, sailor, so I don't know the terminology, but boats uh, <laughs> docked or tethered or whatever, right? They're just it, there's this stability, right? There's this sense of we're at the we're at the harbor, you know, everything is hunky dory. We can have a boat party, whatever. Um, but the point I'm making is there's this sense of stability, but it's also very limiting, right? And so our whole thing is about breaking that tether, untethering your life. And that's the thing is as immigrants, we were tethered to this illusion of happiness. We were tethered, you know, we had a nice house in the suburbs, had a great career, top MBA, et cetera, circle of friends, but it was all an illusion, right? And the anxiety that we felt trying to maintain that facade was just, it, it destroyed us, you know, not just me, it destroyed her as well. Um, so when I say untether your life, I also mean untether what uh, template you're living according to. Uh, for me, it was the pre-professional emphasis of either being a doctor, a lawyer, um, and then, you know, recently more into like management consulting. That's what I went into, into um, financial services. And actually, I wanted to mention Oliver Seligman, the one that I think you had had him on recently. That story resonated with me incredibly. So I would love to talk to that. Him as I'm well. reading his book right now. I actually yeah. was just reading it. I'm, I'm going to finish okay. it today. But yeah, I thought you so would I, really enjoy talking with him. Yeah. I, I heard his story and I'm like, wow, you know, that just really my, my, as they say, my ears were burning because that's exactly what happened to me is I was living according to this template that just did not fit. It was a whole square peg in the round hole. Uh, so that was another untethering was just realizing that Yes, society, quote unquote, says I need to be a type A financial services exec, but that that just ain't me, you know. And I was like, I think he was saying something about he can't even like tell time. Or, I'm the same <laughs> way. Like I like splitting a check gives me like anxiety. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, just doing the math. So that that was not no. The other thing is just when I say I'm tethering your life. Yes, I have the diagnosis of bipolar disorder, uh, but I can't blindly go by what. Uh, the doctors are telling me by what the medication dosage. Yes. I mean, I think it's very important to find a medication that works for you. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I can't, I can't overstate that. And it's important to go to a therapist, but you can't blindly follow a lot of these things and just assume that everything's, I always say it's not a just add water, water proposition. Mm -hmm. You have to really take ownership of your health and take advantage of things. And you've talked about this on your program, like, exercise. Like I love running, you know, running three miles, mm -hmm. that'll just clear all the cobwebs or meditating. You know, that's something that's very important to me. Um, and then just finding, finding communities, uh, that can resonate because, um, in our, um, so my faith, I'm, I'm from the, my, I'm not super religious, but in Hinduism, there's a concept of Sangha, it's community. And that's super important to me is just finding the community, uh, whether it's people in mental illness, our mental health awareness. And I told you about this other program called Mind Valley, which has been incredible. Just the types of people that I've met through that um, who are on a journey of healing, not just physical, but also, I'm sorry, not just mental, but physical. Um, this could be another topic for another episode, but, you know, Geostar, uh, we, we, that's what the other thing we deal with is healing the physical and not just the mental. It's, it's emphasizing that brain-body connection. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot of layers to it. Uh, mm -hmm. but I really think that, you know, untethering yourself, untethering your life and just getting out of that, uh, cookie cutter mentality of what happiness and what making it looks like. I love I that. Really what has helped me. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I think that you guys mentioned also having a book 
that you're in the mm-hmm. works of putting together. So I'm so excited yeah. for that because I love that you put it that way and give that visual of untethering and the process of what that looks like and then tying it to how things are on a ship and then also having the illusion, right? Coming in from being an immigrant and thinking this is the Mm -hmm. way that I have to be, these are the things that I have to do, here's the steps. I've done this, right? I have this life, I've done the school, I've done the education, I'm in this position, but what makes you happy? And figuring out those things through getting involved with these communities, like you mentioned, is a huge part of it. Communities and relationships, because you mentioned those three of medication, therapy, relationships, and that's the thing is it's not like we just do the work and we're done. It's continuing to maintain the progress. So if you could say one thing that's your go-to for being the most helpful when you're noticing a lot of obstacles and challenges coming up for you with bipolar, what is it? You know, I always like hesitate to say this because it's become so cliche, but breathing is just Mm -hmm. so fundamental. And, but I'm going to say it because specifically box breathing is a very important tactic that I use, which is just, you know, inhaling for four seconds, holding four seconds, exhaling, and then holding it. And one thing that's recently come to mind is the visualization component too, like where there was a event I went to uh, through Mind Valley, And I, in my mind's eye, I imagine sort of like creating a box of the event that I went to mentally as I'm inhaling, exit, holding, exhaling, and holding. So, you know, it's so fundamental, um, but it's just amazing how much good that can do, just oxygenating your body and just activating uh, that parasympathetic system and not, and getting ourselves out of that caveman uh, fight or flight mode (laughs) that we find ourselves in. um, Because, And I tell you, just the other thing is just, and it's something I'm really struggling with, is just um, trying to keep a lot of these uh, addictions at bay, where especially like social media and, um, I mean, simple, yeah, I, I would say social media is something that I'm trying to embrace more of the community aspect and the learning, and then just stepping away from the FOMO, the doom scrolling, and the need to uh, display yes. that. Uh, facade. Oh. oh my gosh, me too. And just just hearing you share about how helpful that has been for you in terms of just getting into more of the breathing and meditation, which is something that I got into as well, which I've strangely found to be really, really helpful. So that's why I always love mm-hmm. hearing that it's also helpful for other people and how it is as well. But separating yourself from social media too is huge. So I love that you bring that up. And then also... I want to thank you, Nikhil, for coming out on Master Your Mental and just sharing a little bit more of your story with us and taking the time to dive deeper into the relationships that you've established and how you've really honed in on community and being able to go from struggling to thriving and encouraging others to do the same. So thank you so much for being here and just really getting into this. But before you go, I'd love if you can tell us where we can find more of you. Sure. Uh, so thanks again for having me, Paris. I really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, so there are a couple of places you can find us. Uh, the first, as I mentioned, uh, we have a podcast, which is theshellystory.com. So that's uh, just the and then Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y story.com. Uh, there's shellysued.com. That's Shelly. And then, um, so no, we just S-H-E-L-L-Y-S-O-O-D.com. That's where you'll find some of the podcasts, but also uh, more information about the book, the movie. We have some blog posts there. Uh, our company is actually uh, Geostar Chicago. So that's 
G-I-O-S-T-A-R, Chicago, C-H-I-C-A-G-O. So that's G-I-O-S-T-A-R, Chicago.com. And then we're on all the social platforms as uh, The Shelly Story. Awesome. So we're on Twitter, Instagram. Yay. Yep. All right. Thank you so much. I'll make sure to include all of that information in the notes for everyone as well. So on that note, I want to thank you guys for being here and tuning in. Hope you love this conversation as much as I have loved creating it with Nikhil for you. So bye guys. And bye Nikhil. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Paris. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Nikhil. I really wanted to bring this to you because something he mentioned in this episode about untethering your life that I was really excited about is being able to see the ways in which we can separate ourselves or remove these ties that we place on ourselves. So when he talks about struggling as an immigrant and feeling like you have to stay in this facade and you can't move away from this place of really showing the world who you are and the fact that you have struggled with something like bipolar disorder is something that I wanted to bring to the table because this is something that not only that I relate to, but I know that many of you guys listening either can relate to this or know someone in your life who is living with bipolar, who can relate to this and being able to go about making these changes of having to get around different groups of people to access the support and make changes in your life and really work on the relationship aspect because he talks about medications, therapy, and relationships and really working on that relationship with Shelly going from filing for divorce to healing and moving forward to repair that relationship to what it is now where they've created the Shelly story because this is something that I actually struggled with so much myself with living in a facade, running away from ever telling anyone that I have a diagnosis of bipolar because of the stigma and the shame that I've placed on myself and also seen others place on themselves as well. And if you want more tips on how to go about mastering your mental and shattering the stigma with bipolar disorder to conquer those obstacles and challenges that we so commonly face on a day-to-day basis, then you can tap into Crooked Illness, which is my book that I published to be able to share more of the solutions and walls that I had up myself and how you can go about breaking more of those barriers down for yourself. So love you guys and see you in the next one. Bye.